Ephesians chapter 5 this morning. We're going to be looking here. Uh, we'll be reading the first 17 verses. We're really going to look at verse 1, 8, and 15 primarily. Uh, and so we've got <clears throat> several things to do this morning. And so we may finish the preaching just a little bit early to allow for uh, a presentation that we have from a missionary this morning that we're honored to have with us. And I'll say more about that a little bit later. Uh, and baptism as well. And so and we got through, we were able to do a lot of those things early in the service and only had about maybe 20 minutes for the message. And so we rushed through it. Uh, so I don't want to rush quite as much the, the, now in this hour. Uh, but I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what God has for us in, in that as well. And so it's a blessing. Uh, Ephesians chapter number 5 and beginning in verse number 1. The Bible says, Be therefore followers of God as dear children. And walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as become a saints. Neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this ye know that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man, who is an idolater, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words. For because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not ye therefore partakers with them. For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. For whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Wherefore be ye not unwise, but understand, understanding what the will of the Lord is. I want to speak this morning on, just very simply on the thought, walking with the Lord. And let's pray together. Father, thank you again for this opportunity. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for coming to earth miraculously. Lord, thank you for miraculously dying for our sins and resurrecting from the grave. Lord, thank you for the freedom and the new life that you've given us in Christ from the power of our sin. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to embrace it. I pray that you'd help us to embrace you. Lord, if there's anyone here this morning that's never trusted you as their Lord and Savior, I pray that they would understand and see the truth of the gospel and that they would accept the gift that you've provided for them. Lord, it's such a time of the year of gift giving. May we all know what it is to have received the greatest gift of all in salvation from Christ Jesus. Lord, help us now to open our hearts to your word. Holy Spirit, work freely amongst us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> you know, when we look at, uh, at this year, and it's hard to imagine in many ways that the year is for all intents and purposes, over. This is the final Sunday of 2020. Most people say amen to that. Uh, we're glad to see 2020 go. Uh, and we look forward and hope for a better year in 2021 uh, than what we've experienced as a society, even globally, uh, with all of the COVID things that have gone on in 2020. 
you know, the, the thing that's going to make 2021 a good or a successful year has nothing to do with the pandemic and it has nothing to do with who has power in the White House. It has everything to do with who has power on the throne of your heart. And if Lord Jesus Christ truly is the one that you're walking with, uh, then you can have a wonderful year. You know, we say things, and, and really this title this morning is very simple, but if you really understand the words, it's very profound. Walking with the Lord. You understand this morning that most people that make the claim that I walk with the Lord do not. They expect God to walk with them. And there is a definite distinction. We are not commanded to let God walk with us. We are commanded to walk with him. We are not to bring God down to our level. We are to let him rise, raise us up to his level. Our view of him, our walk with him, our worship of him should be elevating Christ, not bringing God down to man's level. And so when we look here in this morning, I just want to just spend a little bit of time as we approach a new year in a few days that we might enter that new year with the mindset that I want to refocus my walk with God. I want to realign my walk with God with true biblical principle and not uh, current uh, cultural fads. Uh, I want to be living a life that's pleasing to the Lord. So I want to walk with him. When I walk with him, that means that he has the lead. And again, it's not that I am leading him. And so many times in modern Christianity, that's what you see. And I, I say modern Christianity, I think that that's true of every age. You see uh, in the text when it says, uh, redeeming the time because the days are evil. The days really today are evil, but they're no more evil now than they were when those words were written. All ages are evil because they're under the authority and the power of the God of this world. It may take different forms and shapes, but it always has the same intent. And that's to thwart the working of God in the hearts and lives of men. It's to slow down or stop and to, uh, to push back against the spread of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when I consider this this morning, I have to realize that it's just natural that we want to be in charge of our own lives. We want to be the one that's calling the shots. We want to be the ones that's making the decision. But I cannot be that person and walk with God. I can be that person and have God appear to walk with me. In other words, I can identify as a Christian, to put it in today's vernacular. Uh, I can be someone that attends church. I can be someone that reads my Bible. I can be someone even uh, that spends some time in prayer. I can even be somebody that shares the gospel with someone else, uh, but I'm doing it on my terms and in my schedule and in my fashion and my way. I am not allowing God to lead me. I am attempting to lead him. Now, sometimes God mercifully intervenes in those situations and uses that effort, but it's not the way that God designed things to be. What God designed was for me to yield myself fully, wholly, and completely to him, to remove myself from the equation and say, you are the king, you are crowned on the throne of my heart, what would you have me do? Every Christian's day should begin with, Lord, what would you have me do? Where would you have me go? With whom would you have me converse? How would you, are you pleased with my actions? Are you pleased with how uh, I've invested and used my time today? Or are you pleased with my attitude and the spirit in which I have represented you? Uh, wherever I've gone today, when he is in the lead, all of those things matter. 
And we spend an awful lot of time and energy justifying why it's okay for us to have uh, maybe a bad attitude, a bad spirit, or to do things that we want to do or that feel right because Christ is attached to it. It seems justified. But the reality is if my attitude is not, Lord, this is your life and this is your time and I am your vessel and I'm surrendered to you. Am I pleasing you? And what is it that you would have me do? Then I am not walking with him. I'm expecting him to walk with me. And the Christian life will only be useful to the kingdom of God when we walk with the Lord. He must be the decision maker. I must become a follower of God and not require that God be a follower of me in order to be worthy of my worship to him. Three thoughts about this this morning and three commands that he gives us really <coughs> is that, uh, that we are to be ye therefore followers of God as dear children in verse number one. Now he tells us here the attitude and the spirit with which we are to follow him. We are to follow him as dear children, as a child uh, that loves and honors and values his parents. I, I think that you could even take this down and refine it more to a younger child because it's natural for a young child to honor and revere and look up to their mom and dad before they begin old enough to begin to see their flaws. The reality is, is that in all of our relationships, uh, there, there's a, a time when a child in his innocence and as he's learning just thinks that mom and dad walked on water. Jesus did walk on water. Okay, so we came to a point in time in our, in our lives when we realized that, hey, you know, dad's not perfect. Dad's got some flaws. Dad's just human. Jesus is more than human. He's God. Uh, Jesus has no flaws. But our attitude in serving him should be as little children. And so when we come to him and we look, be therefore followers of God as dear children. Now consider the word therefore back up to verse 30 of chapter 4. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God whereby ye are sealed into the day of redemption. So when we trust Christ as our Savior, the Holy Spirit secures that decision. He seals it until the day that we're actually brought into the presence of God. Uh, and whereby ye are sealed into the day of redemption, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sakes, has forgiven you. So what's he saying here? Be therefore followers of God. Therefore, because you are to forgive, be kind, not be bitter, because you are not to grieve the Holy Spirit, because of those reasons, you must walk with God or be a follower of God as a little child because it's not possible for you to do those things on your own in the power of your own spirit and flesh. And so when I recognize and realize that I must follow God if I would please God, I must follow God if I would serve him, I must follow him if I truly would live for him. And then he tells us, be therefore followers of God as dear children, walk in love as Christ also hath loved us. So when we talk about what does it mean to walk with God? How does that look in my life? What is the manifestation of that in my day-to-day -day life? And, and the answer is this, it's that we walk in love. I'm not saying that, that, that we never get angry. Jesus got angry. But you, you cannot make the statement that Jesus, there was ever a time when Jesus was not walking in love. 
But there were times when he uh, responded at sin and anger. And there were times when he set in order things that were wanting or lacking or that were off course. Uh, there were times when he took a strong stand against the Pharisees and when he rebuked religious leaders. Those all were acts of love. It was what was required to produce an opportunity to bring repentance. That's love. Love is not everything is just wonderful and cozy and I'm going to tell you whatever makes you feel good. Genuine biblical, I remember having a, college, a teacher my freshman year of college and, uh, and he spent a lot of time in the, the, I believe in Leviticus, but it was definitely in the, in the Old Testament law, uh, heavy books of the law to talk about what biblical love is. And, and it all boils down to this, that biblical love is genuinely treating someone the way the Bible tells us to treat them. Now, to, to a lot of people, that's, you know, don't say anything to hurt anybody's feelings. But the truth of the matter is, is that sometimes if you truly love someone, you must hurt their feelings. A, a child who, a parent who loves their child must punish that child and bring discipline in their life. It's not an act of, of cruelty or an act of unkindness for a child to spank, or a parent to spank their child. It is an act of love. Now, if it's not done in the right spirit and it's not done in the right attitude, it can become a form of abuse. But if it's done biblically, it's an act of love. It's a requirement of love. Jesus loved us, therefore he tells us the truth about us. He came into the world to save sinners. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. He had to tell us our condition. You are lost and you are condemned and you will spend an eternity separated from God in the lake of fire if you do not repent of your sin and accept the gift of Jesus from and his sacrifice on Calvary's cross and payment for your sin. That's the gospel. That's the whole reason that Jesus came. That's the whole reason that we celebrate Christmas. That's the reason he was born of a virgin, that he would be qualified uh, to make the, be that sacrificial lamb that we might receive uh, that gift of God's grace. Listen, what am I to do as I'm a follower of Christ? I will love as Christ loves. In other words, I'm going to love people the way that God told me to love them. And if I have to rebuke, I rebuke. And if I have to encourage, I encourage. It, it basically, what it boils down to in the New Testament church is exhortation. And so when we exhort one another, we are exercising biblical love. And so it is saying to someone what they need to hear uh, to, uh, to uh, become what they need to become in Christ. And it means loving them wherever they are in the moment. Jesus uh, came to save us while we were sinners. He didn't wait until we turned over a new leaf. The Bible says in Romans 5, 8, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait until uh, we wanted him. He came when we needed him. And oftentimes what people need to hear is not what they want to hear, but they don't need to hear it when they warm up. They need to hear it when they need to hear it. Now, I'm not advocating this morning that we all walk around with notepads and that we, critical, that we critically assess one another uh, and start calling each other out. That's not biblical exhortation. That's just self-righteous Phariseeism. What I am saying this morning is that when you walk in love, that light shines light on sin and the light, the Holy Spirit living in you and shining Jesus out of you exposes that sin. I don't have to say anything. 
I just have to live righteously. I just have to do what God said to do. And Jesus, as light, shines the light in the darkness. Love is Christ loves. That means, secondly, that I must give of myself. We're still talking about walking in love, but to walk in love requires that I love as Jesus loves, and it requires that I give of myself. I must give myself an offering. Again, Romans 12, 1 and 2, we use it frequently because it's so critical to our understanding of New Testament Christianity. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Jesus came, put on human flesh, gave himself a sacrifice on Calvary's cross. He shed his blood. He gave his life only to take it up again in the power of God. But he doesn't require that of you. What he requires of you, what he requires of me is a living sacrifice. I gave myself fully and completely, physically, my whole life. I demand from you that you give me your life in return. Here's my gift. You're my child. Take up the family name, uh, engage in the family business, and live for God. And so when we look and when we understand what God is saying here, he's saying, listen, you have to offer yourself. Make an offering of yourself as a sacrifice. My intent is, God, I'm sacrificing myself to you. My life is not mine, it's yours. That's walking with God. As long as I'm walking in my own will, to my own devices, to my own end, I may weave Jesus into it, but I can never truly say that I'm walking with him. If I want to walk with God, I must be sacrificed and submitted, surrendered fully to his will for my life. Walk in love. Secondly, I would say this morning, that I must walk as a, child, as a child of light. We must be walking as children of light. Notice in verse number 8. For you were sometime darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. What's he saying? He's saying, listen, sometimes you drift back into that old flesh. You drift back into the old man. You drift into the old way of thinking. Reset and walk as a child of light. You once were a child of darkness. Jesus Christ became your savior and made you a child of light. But your natural tendency is to drift back to darkness, reset that and walk as a child of light. And then he identifies for us what it looks like when we begin to walk in darkness. And it's pretty extreme. I mean, he gives us a pretty wide range here. Uh, if you'll notice, he says, but fornication and all uncleanness, those are pretty heavy, sinful things. Uh, and covetousness, let it not be once named among you as become a saint. So he said, listen, uh, all of, the, uh, all of the, uh, the sexual sin, all of those types of sin, all of the covetousness, the desiring what other people have and the longing for whatever people have and wishing that you had this and wishing you had that, all of those things, uh, but don't let those things even be named one time among you. And then he brings it a little bit closer to home where most of us actually could live at times. And he says, neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient. In other words, it is not advantageous to the cause of Christ for us to be foolish talkers. The Bible says, in, I believe in Matthew, but definitely in the Gospels, that we will give an account for every idle word that we speak. He says in Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 9 that fools make a mock of sin. And so when we understand what he's talking about here, we have to realize he says, nor foolish talking, nor jesting. He's not condemning a practical joke. He's not condemning lighthearted, fun things. He is condemning making light of sin. 
I, I've at times <coughs> even had to pull a Sunday school class or teacher aside. Uh, it's been several years ago and say, hey, listen, uh, there are people in your class that are making light of sinful things. Stop it. They're, they're making, they're making, they're mocking, making a mockery of sin. It's not anything to be mocked. Jesus died for it. And when I mock it, I devalue it, or I, 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 I take away from the magnitude of sin and what it's done. When I make light of sin, then it becomes easier to accept it. It doesn't seem like such a big deal. Listen, every sin is the sin that sent Jesus to the cross. The sin that condemns me to hell is the, and the lake of fire is the sin of not accepting what he did for me on the cross. But he died to forgive every sin. There's not any sin that's a, that's a small deal. There's no such thing as a little white liar, an insignificant sin in the eyes of God because he paid dearly for every sin. And he values it as such. We devalue our attitude toward God when we devalue our attitude toward sin. If sin's not that big of a deal, if that sin's not that big of a deal, then I don't need God to be that big of a deal in order to deal with it, to forgive it. When I understand the magnitude of sin and what it does, yes, maybe early on it, it doesn't show its true self. It doesn't show its true nature. We don't see or, or consider where it always is going to lead or we think that we can keep control of it uh, and it won't get out of hand. Uh, and, but I'm just telling you this morning that we need a good old-fashioned dose of understanding and realizing that sin is sin and God hates it. He despises it. It crushed his son on Calvary's cross for our sakes and when I make light of it when I make a mockery of it when I joke and kid around about it sin then I'm displeasing God I'm not walking as a child of light I'm hurting the cause of Christ because I'm making it more difficult for those that do not know Jesus to understand their condition without Jesus and so when we consider and we look at as a child of light, there's two things that I would say to you primarily about this. Number one, live up to the family name. What should my goal be in 2021? To live up to the family name. We tried to instill deep in our four children's hearts as they left home and went to college that the family name was important. Don't do anything to defraud or to discredit the family name. Make our name honorable. Make our name respectable. And it's not that we think that we're somebody, but I don't want my family name to be discredited. I don't want to do things that are going to cause people to hear a name and think that's a corrupt person. I don't want to, I don't want to sabotage uh, future generations with that baggage that they may not even be carrying. Make the family name mean something. I'm saying this morning, make your family, live up to your family name. Your, and I'm not talking about your surname. I'm talking about your name, Christian. You've trusted Jesus as your Savior. Live up to the name. Amen. You have been accepted Christ. You are a Christian. Are you honoring the family name this morning? Does your life, does your conversation, do your habits, do the way that you spend your idle time, are they pleasing to the name of Christ? Are they building the name of Christ? Or are they detracting from it? Be a testimony for what is right. 
Be a testimony for the one who gave everything for you. Avoid evil and those who would influence you away from God. The most important decisions that we make in life, the, you know, the most important decision, of course, is to trust Jesus as our Savior. The second most important decision is probably our spouse. But the third most important decision that you make in life is who your influencers are. It's a big term in social media today. Everybody wants to be an influencer. I'm talking about real influencers. Who influences you? Who do you listen to? Who do you read? Who do you take counsel from? Who do you go to for advice? It is the height of idiocy to go to someone that's in the same level that I'm in to get life-changing advice, especially if you're a high school student or younger. Your life-changing decisions, you haven't even walked across the street yet, and you're going to somebody that can't walk to get advice about who you should talk to and what you should do and where you should go and how you should live and all of those kinds of things. Why don't you go to somebody that walks with God and that's lived a little bit of time and can help you see what that's going to lead to. And value it. Don't just dismiss it. I'm not saying it's wrong for you to talk to your friends and compare notes. What I am saying is that it's foolish to take advice Especially if you're a high school student or a junior high student or an elementary school student, it's foolish if you're making life-changing decisions to get your advice from another seventh grader or whatever grade you happen to be in. And I don't mean to sound ugly, but it's just plain dumb. And you're setting yourself up for a train wreck of a life. I mean, God's put people in your life that love you and want to help you become what you can be for God and what God designed you to be. Listen to them. And what I'm saying this morning is that God expects for us to avoid evil. Put it away, it says. Put away foolish talking. Put away evilness. Put away uh, things that you know are destructive in your life. Just leave it. Put it away. I was playing a game with my son last night and, and uh, uh, <clears throat> I went and got a bag of cookies that I, Elena had made uh, and I started eating those cookies. And if, you, I, I can, if I start and don't put it away, I'll just continue until they're all gone. But don't you get full? Not when it comes to chocolate chip cookies, no. I just will just keep grazing until uh, they're gone. And so there has to come a point in time where I look at it and say, this is really dumb. I'm, not, I'm, I'm getting miserable. I'm going to be up all night choking on acid with reflux. Uh, I don't have enough Nexium left to take to combat this. And so uh, I've got to put it away. Sin's the same way. Bad relationships are the same way. Harmful friendships are the same way. By the way, they're not truly friendships if they're hurting your walk with God. What I'm saying is that I need to walk as a child of light, living up to the family name, bearing spiritual fruit. I must avoid evil. The second thing that I would say about walking as a child of light is that my godly living will expose evil. It shines light upon it. When we look and we understand, he says, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. Listen, what I'm saying is this. If you're truly walking with God, if I'm truly walking with God, Kyle, I don't have to catalog someone's sin to them. Now, if I really want to know the dirt on somebody, I don't have to, it's not that difficult. If I want to know what's wrong with Brother Chris, all I got to do is just go ask Miss Joanna. She'll gladly tell me. 
Uh, if I, if I want to know, uh, you know, what's wrong with, uh, with Miss Hera, uh, Brother Dix already told me. <laughs> so I'm just kidding. So, but the reality is, is that if I'm truly walking with God, I don't have to go to someone and say, hey, you shouldn't do that. What are you doing over here? Now, positionally as a pastor, I may have a responsibility at times to do that. To just sound a warning. What you choose to do is between you and God. But the reality is, is that if I'm truly walking with God, I am not emitting self. I am emitting Jesus. And when Jesus shines his light on us, it exposes sin. Uh, Isaiah chapter 6, whenever Isaiah comes into, the, has the vision of the throne of God, uh, when he comes into the presence of God, his immediate response is to fall on his face and to cry out, oh, woe is me, I am unclean, I am undone. That's the effect of a holy God. Because we have no reference point truly of what we are and what our sin is and what it means to God and how God values it until we have a proper vision of who God is. He is what exposes it. We, we interpret sin according to the light that we have within the culture in the world. And it's diminished. I'll never be the Christian that God wants me to be if that's the only vision of sin that I have. When I begin to see God in his perfection, in his, his holiness, and in his righteousness, I can begin to get a glimpse of what sin and its power truly is and how he sees it. And if I would honor and value the family name, then I must live up to what God's vision of sin is, not what my vision of sin is. I must begin to understand it the way that he sees it and not try to convince him to see it the way that I see it. Walking is a child of light. The third thing that I would say this morning is that we must walk circumspectly. Circumspectly uh, is a word that just simply means carefully. Verse number 15, <clears throat> he says, see then, you have, you, listen, he's saying, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Walk with childlike faith. Walk in the love of Christ. Walk in the light of Christ and walk carefully. Be careful where you're going. We've had a house full this week and a heart's full this week. And when my all four grandchildren were there and they're all the oldest one is four. And so from four down to seven months. And so there's uh, a dollhouse that my granddaughters love that has all these little furniture parts. They tend to play with it on the living room rug, which is where they're supposed to play with it. But uh, when there's a lot of people there and when all of those hard, crunchy parts get started spread out and it's chairs with legs, little plastic chairs with legs and little plastic beds with uh, legs and headboards and you're walking through the room with no shoes on and you're not paying attention where you walk and you step on one and you weigh as much as I do, you know you stepped on something. It's painful. I walk through there. When they're there playing, I walk carefully. Every step is a careful step. Certain zones of the house. Walk carefully. Why? Because there's danger there. And it hurts. And life is really that simple. The Christianity is really that simple. Walk carefully. What am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to walk with God. How do I define that? Walking in love and walking in light. And if I'm walking in, I, I need to be careful that my next step is keeping me in love and in light. 
I need to be careful that my next step is not leading me out of the light and into the darkness. I need to be, listen, I, I've, I've gone outside in places when it's really dark. I've, I've stood post in the military at night when it's extremely dark. And as you get away from a place where there's light, you get so far away and it's like, well, it's, it's getting pretty dark, but I can still, I'm still getting enough light from over there that I can see what I'm about to step, where I'm about to step. But there comes a point in time when I'm so far from the light that there's nothing left but darkness. And when I get there, I can't even see the next step. You ever been in that place where it's so dark that you can't see your hand in front of your face? When we first moved to Arkansas, we lived in this little white two-bedroom house. It was actually built to be a little small daycare. It had no, it had no closets. It had two bedrooms. There were six of us. It had <clears throat> the room, it had a lean-to built in the back. And so the bedroom that Sonia and I had had a window but it had a lean-to built on the back of it. So it had another building attached to the back of it. So when you close the door in that room, even in the daytime, you, you really couldn't imagine a darker place. You could, you, I could put my hand right here and not know that it was there. It was so dark. I want to be careful that my steps are not leading me to such a dark place. I want to be careful that my steps that my decisions, that my relationships, that my view and interpretation of sin and of worship and of who God is and of what God's expectations are, are not leading me away from the reality of his light biblically. And when I understand and I grasp the concept of that truth, I come to a place where I can say, God, I want to walk with you in the new year. Then I have to walk carefully, circumspectly. Three thoughts about this and we'll be finished with the message this morning. Number one, be careful that you do not walk in foolishness. Don't walk foolishly. That's what he's talking about. Neither filthiness nor foolish talking. It's fine to joke around. It's just what are you joking about? And what is that joking, what impact is that making on the people that you're with and the way that they view Christ? Walk carefully that you do not walk in foolishness. Secondly, be careful to walk in wisdom. It's not enough to just avoid foolishness. I want to walk in wisdom. And understand this morning, when we talk about biblically defining what we're talking about, that wisdom is not knowledge. Anybody can acquire facts and information. Anyone can acquire knowledge. I cannot exercise wisdom if I, don't, if I haven't acquired any knowledge. But just the, the acquisition of knowledge is not wisdom. Wisdom is properly using that knowledge. Wisdom is skillfully using that which I have gotten from Christ and that I've learned. Be careful that you do not, not only that you do not walk in foolishness, but don't be satisfied with that. Walk in wisdom. And the last thing that I would say about that is this. Be careful about who you spend time with. Be careful about who you spend your time with. We talk a lot about redemptive relationships. Make sure that the redemptive relationship that you're trying to engage in is you redeeming them to Christ and not them redeeming you back to the world. 
That's, that, that street can go both directions. If I go out and I meet someone and I engage in a relationship with them, it's for the purpose of bringing them to Christ. I don't have time to waste. I don't have, to, don't, don't spend your life, invest it. You don't have time, you can't recapture it. Once it's gone, it's gone forever. Invest your life for things that are of eternal and value in nature. That, that, listen, when you invest your life in such a way, a baseball game, a little league soccer game, uh, going to a sporting event, participating in sports for the purpose of establishing relationships that you might share your faith, that is not time spent, that is time invested. You can make opportunities out of things that you thoroughly enjoy in life, that God's given you and blessed you with the opportunity to participate in and told us to enjoy the creation of this earth, but it should always be done with the purpose of, I want to establish a relationship so that I can strengthen someone's faith, so that I can bring them to the saving knowledge of Christ. And if I establish that relationship, Brother Jay, and, and, and you make it clear to me that you're not interested in Christ, I'm still going to be kind to you. I'm still going to be nice to you, but I'm not going to spend four or five hours with you a week. Why? Because that's not what my life's about. Pastor, but you, you, don't have, you don't want him to be, he could be a good friend in every other way. That's not why I'm here. I'm not here to have friends. Now, friends are wonderful things, don't get me wrong, but that's not why Jesus left us on this earth. The purpose of the friendship is to, is to strengthen someone's faith. It's to, it's to bring them to Christ. It's to help them in their, in their walk with Christ. It's to encourage them in the way and to, to strengthen one another in your walk with God. I don't have time, nor do I need friends that are not interested in walking with God because the only thing that's going to happen in that relationship is it's going to pull me from God. And I don't care how nice someone is, if, they're, if, the, if the relationship is pulling me away from the Lord, it's an unhealthy relationship. And at that point, it's working against what God's trying to do in my life. Listen, I don't want to work against him. I want to work with him. I, I don't want to try to pull against what God's trying to accomplish. I want to say, Lord, show me what you want me to do. And then I want to give my whole heart to doing it. I don't want to try to convince him to do it my way. I just want to learn what his way is and do it his way. Walk carefully in wisdom and be careful about whom you spend your life with, who you invest your life in, who you hang out with. Why? Because it shapes how you think. It shapes how you value things. It changes your perspective and your perception. Don't spend time with people who are, who are weakening or lessening God's stature in your mind. Don't go to those for counsel. Walk with God. Walk with God. Now, the truth of the matter is that we need each other. We need healthy relationships. We need healthy friendships. We need uh, healthy church relationships. We need healthy relationships with lost people that we're trying to lead to Christ and bring to Christ and show them uh, the, the beauty of the Christian life. But the reality is, is that that'll only happen when I'm walking with God. And if no one else will walk with you, just let Jesus be enough. Walk with him. What do we need to do in the new year? What do we need in 2021? We need to be a church of people that are committed to walking with the Lord. And if we'll walk with the Lord, I believe that God can do wonderful and great things in our lives.